Hey guys, this is Rocky, and you're listening to the God Loves Miami podcast. I want to welcome you to today's episode, and I also want to encourage you to follow us on social media at God Loves Miami on Instagram and Facebook so that you can find out all that we are about and what God is calling us to do in our city. And now here's Pastor Mark. Well, my name is Mark. I'm the pastor here, those of you that are here for the first time. Um, and I am born and raised in Miami in about 2000. Um, 2000, no, it had to be like 2004. My father-in-law comes over to my house and I'm hanging out with my friends, right? And, you know, anytime you're hanging out with your friends and like your dad or your father-in-law or some older family member shows up, at times you're like, oh my gosh, like what are they going to say? Do you ever think that, right? Whenever you're hanging out with your buddies and stuff and your parents show up or maybe an uncle and you're like, oh my gosh. Or maybe for you it was like your big brother, your big sister. They're just going to embarrass me. I have older sisters. They love embarrassing me and telling funny jokes about me and stuff. And so um, my father-in-law shows up and, and, I, and I was a little worried because he likes to say crazy things and and uh, he had never met a few of my friends, and he shows up to our house because, you know, in-laws never say, hey, we're coming over. They just show up, right? And, uh, and he's there, and he's like, oh, he's hanging out with us, and he hit it off with a couple of my friends, and he says, listen, I want to take you guys to this new restaurant. It's a little bit far. It's in Florida City, you know, and, and um, at the time, we were living in a townhouse in Miami Lakes, and and uh, he's like, but you're going to love it. It's the best. I drive all the way to Florida City all the time just to eat here. Trust me. And he couldn't remember the name of the restaurant. And I'm like, you love this restaurant. It's your favorite restaurant. But you have no idea the name of the restaurant, right? And I'm like, I'm nervous. And, uh, and so he's like, yeah, yeah, invite your parents. But, so we invited a bunch of people to go to this awesome restaurant. He offered to pay, which should have been a red flag. He's offering to pay for like 20 people. It's got to be a little cheap, right? Um, and so, you know, we were all up for it. We all jump in the car, have no idea where we're going. All right, this is before like smartphones had like GPS. So it's like, we're just following him as close as possible in his car is like a caravan of five or six cars. We get down in Florida city and we pull up to the restaurant and I'm thinking this has to be a mistake. All right. And we're parked in front of the golden corral. <laughs> right. And so here's the problem. Like Golden Corral and I have a history, all right, because when I was in 12th grade, we had a friend that had a farm in Pahokee, right, and she would tell all of us, oh, I want to take you guys to my farm in Pahokee, and I want to take you to my favorite restaurant, and when we got to her favorite restaurant, now I'm 18 years old, right, it's the Golden Corral, I had never seen the Golden Corral, never heard of the Golden Corral. Right, I didn't read the fine print or anything. And so we go and you could just imagine a bunch of like high school boys like, so, oh, it's all you can eat. So we ate all the fried chicken that we could and steak and mac and cheese and mashed potatoes and french fries. And, and then we, we, uh, 
we take off and, and now we're driving from Pahokee back to our school in Miami and the bus had to stop like five times because everyone got like violent diarrhea, you know. And so when I pull up to the Golden Corral with my wife in the car and my two friends in the back, she looks at me and says, remember last time we went to Golden Corral when we were in high school. And I'm like, I know, I can't believe your dad's brought No, she goes, no, Mark, remember what happened to you. And I'm like, babe, that, that was in 12th grade, you know? And so we go to the Golden Corral, we pig out, right? It wasn't great, but we were there and just laughing. And at this point, we, were, we all had these inside jokes uh, uh, towards my father-in-law and stuff. And, and then we get back in the car, Golden Corral, Florida City. By the time we got to that rest stop on 120th and the turnpike, I'm like, pull over. Like, I feel like World War III is going on in my stomach. I'm like, ah, you know. And so I got like really, really, really sick, right, from all the food that we ate. And, and you know, the reason that I'm ta- telling you this silly story about myself today is because why is it so difficult for us to learn from like our past mistakes Why is it so hard for us? Like, my wife warned me, right? I probably could have just had a little bit of everything and not gotten sick, but, like, when you see all of it, it's like, whoa. And it's like, I'm paying, you know, $7.99 for this or whatever. You know, I got to eat my fill, and and I got super sick. We had to stop twice on the way home. Like, that's how bad it was and embarrassing, right? And because there was no GPS, like, the whole caravan kept on pulling over every time Mark had to go to the bathroom, right? But it happens to us in life. Sometimes we see someone make a mistake and completely like derail their lives. And what do we do? We're like, oh, that's not going to happen to me. That happened to her because she's dumb. Or that happened to him because he wasn't paying attention, right? Do you know that humans are like the only animal, the only thing, living thing that can reason, that trips over the same rock? Like, More than once, many times. I mean, this is scientifically proven. Like, people make the same mistakes over and over and over again. And why is that? It's true for me. It's true for all of us. And and that's what we're going to talk about today as we continue in our series, Fearless. And we're looking at the life of Daniel. And Daniel has been captured by the Babylonians. He's a prisoner of war. and, And people around him have been making the dumbest mistakes, like, over and over and over again. And in Daniel chapter 5, now King Nebuchadnezzar's grandson is the king. His name is Belshazzar. And he is a terrible leader. His father and grandfather, they were like the, the kings, the rulers of the largest empire in the world. They have an encounter with God. Their lives change. They get their kingdom back. And now this pretty boy inherits the country And he is ready to make the same mistakes that his father made, that his grandfather made. And yet they learned from their mistakes and changed their ways. And now he's heading down the same path. He's a party boy. He's a a spoiled royal brat. And we see this in the media sometimes. These real successful businessmen and, and people. And they have all these accolades and they've accomplished so much. And then... Their kids are about to take over the company and the stock plummets. And people are like, there's no way that, that this kid can take over the company because 
They're brought up to be brats. And so here's this brat that has taken over the kingdom of Babylon. And his enemies are sensing his weakness. His biggest enemies have actually, they're enemies amongst themselves. They actually united the Medes and the Persians. And they're encamped around the walls of Babylon. And they're like, we're going to take him down. You see, and Babylon was super fortified, 50 to 90 foot walls. The Euphrates River actually ran through this fortified city. And in the middle of this moment when his enemies were surrounding him, where most people would be strategizing, how can we protect our interests? How can we attack them? How can we keep ourselves safe? Guess what this party boy did? He called the thousand of his closest friends and threw a huge drunken party and they're partying all night. They're getting drunk. They're getting crazy. And and he was overconfident to the point where he asked a question. And this is where things start going really bad for him. He thought he was so great and so amazing, even more powerful than God, that he says, hey, 45 years ago, my grandfather, he ransacked Jerusalem and 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 we destroyed what was going on in that country and destroyed buildings. And we actually stole the treasure that was in the temple. He's like, I'm sure there were cups and, and there were things in there. Bring all the gold and the silver. Bring it here and let's drink out of these vessels, out of these cups. And and let's toast to our gods. And so that's called being sacrilegious. I mean, they're mocking God. They're mocking the one true God. And then something scary actually happens. Daniel chapter 5, verse 1, it says, King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles, and they all got drunk. And while Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor, had taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem. He thought it would be fun to drink using these goblets intended for the worship of God. And so they did use the cups, laughing and making toast to all the pagan gods and idols. And suddenly, the finger of a human hand appeared in the royal banquet hall and began supernaturally writing on the plaster of the walls of the royal palace. The king and all his guests watched this hand as it wrote. Okay, this is kind of crazy. This is like a hand Without a body, you know, you guys ever watch the Adams Family? I think we got a picture of it. You know, like the thing that walked around the house. I don't think the thing showed up that day and it wasn't a finger like this, like a relic that used to probably be held in that stadium right there. And they're waiting to one day start selling them again. Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't this. It was actually the hand of God writing a message on the walls. Have you guys ever heard the saying, the handwriting is on the wall? Right, that's a real common, that's actually 2,500 years old to this day, to this moment, right? And so when people say the handwriting's on the wall, it's literally talking about this Daniel chapter 5 in the Bible, right? And so in verse 6, it says, when the king saw this, the handwriting on the wall, it scared him to death. His face turned pale, and he was so frightened that his knees knocked together and his hips gave way. Um, this is probably one of the funniest things in the Bible. I, I think it's super funny. His hips gave way. He didn't start dancing La Macarena when he saw this. This literally means that he crapped his pants. Okay, hips giving way. That he got diarrhea without the golden corral. 
okay? And if we want to trace another phrase that's pretty common back 2,500 years, it scared the beep out of him, right? That's where this is traced back. Thousands of guests see this handwriting on the wall, and nobody can read it. Nobody understands it. Nobody can interpret it. And so they call this guy Daniel, who had the reputation of being the smartest guy. All right? He had this reputation of being honorable, of having integrity, this reputation of wisdom. And so Daniel comes in and, and they say, hey, we can't, we don't know what, the, what this writing says. Can you tell us? In Daniel 5.25 it says, this is the message of the handwriting on the wall. Mene, mene, tekel, parson. Nobody understood what that was because it was actually written in Aramaic. It's the only thing written in Aramaic in the Old Testament. Aramaic is a dialect, a Hebrew dialect. It's actually what Jesus spoke. Okay, it's an ancient dialect. And so Daniel obviously can read it. And this is what Daniel interprets. Mene means numbered. It means your days are numbered. God has numbered the days of your reign. Belshazzar, your time is up. Your number has been pulled. All right, and I don't know about you, but whenever I'm getting, you know, ham and cheese at the deli and they call my number, I'm excited about that number. But this is not a number that you want to be pulled. This is like it's over, right? Taco means weighed, all right? It's been weighed in the balances of life. The scales are against you. You've not measured up to what God expected of you. And parson means divided. It means your kingdom is going to be divided tonight. The Medes and the Persians are coming and you are going to die. All right, that's not good news. No one ever wants to hear like you're going to die. You're losing your kingdom. You're going to die tonight. You see, but because Daniel is always doing the right thing and it's what we've been talking about for several weeks. He's a man that lived, a man of integrity that did not compromise. He still got promoted once again after even sharing this bad news. Daniel 5:29 it says Then King Belshazzar commanded that the royal purple robe be put on Daniel. And a gold chain was put around his neck because he interpreted this. And the king named Daniel to be the third highest ruler in the kingdom. But that very night, Belshazzar was slain and Darius the Mede took over his kingdom at age 62. All right. This is awesome because this is backed up by archaeology. This happened. And so this, as Christians, should strengthen our faith. Like, wow, something we're reading, we're learning about Daniel, we're learning about Babylon. It's like history books, historians can say, yeah, this stuff happened. And the walls didn't come crumbling down. We've, we've read in the Bible, we've seen in movies and stuff, like people invading a city, knocking walls down, burning walls down. Remember the Euphrates River ran through? Babylon, And so what the Medes and, and the Persians did is that they diverted the water. And when the water went down, they actually walked into the city unannounced. All right, something that if they would have been alert, they could have easily seen. You see, how many times in our life are we being attacked and we're so distracted? We're so maybe even consumed by the problems in our lives that we don't see the enemy trying to attack us, the enemy attacking our children, attacking our homes, attacking our jobs, attacking our families. And then we look back and we're like, wow, how could this have happened? And many times it happens in our lives because we're distracted, because we're not focusing on what God is trying to show us. You see, and, and as I was preparing to, to share this message, I'm thinking, 
maybe I could talk about how not to lose your kingdom. And there's plenty, plenty of of, uh, things that we can draw from this passage. But then I started thinking, like, man, like the star of this story is, is Daniel. When everything was falling apart, there was only one person that they could count on, that they could think about. And I I look at our world, I look at our city, I look at the state of our homes, and there's so much disaster, there's so much pain, there's so much sorrow, and I'm just thinking like, man, we need more Daniels in this world. We need more people that when things are going wrong, they're like, I need to call her, I need to call him, because they're going to have the answers. And so the question that I want to ask today as I, I read this, the question I want to ask you is how can we as followers of Jesus be more like Daniel because we need more Daniels in our lives. You see, Daniel developed this reputation of being the go-to guy. And look what the queen said about him. This man, Daniel, has a sharp mind and is filled with knowledge and understanding. He can interpret dreams, explain the meaning of mysteries, and solve difficult problems. Call for Daniel, and he will tell you what it means. She was confident that this man can do it again. The same way that he had helped the other kings and had helped other people and had been honorable, that he could actually help them in this situation. And then the king says this in Daniel 5.14, I have heard that the spirit of God is in you and that you possess brilliant knowledge and extraordinary wisdom. God used this guy, Daniel, because he was wise. And, you know, we we think of the word wisdom, and many times I think we wrongfully think that wisdom is, is knowledge. But you know what? Wisdom is a choice. And you could choose to become wise through learning, through studying, through dedication, through prayer. The Bible actually is full of ways that we can acquire more wisdom in our lives. Proverbs 4.13 says this, always remember what you've learned. Your education is your life. And so guard it well. You see, um, I think, and, and I, I tell my kids this all the time, because sometimes kids want to know what's right and what's wrong. And sometimes something that could be right, sometimes something that's legal, sometimes something that you'll do in school, right? Thinking of, of young people and thinking of our children, you're not going to get in trouble. And when you're a kid, when you're a teenager, when you're a young adult at times, and even as an adult, am I going to get caught? Isn't that what we think a lot of times? You know, I, I love ways, um, and I, I know I'm not the only one that does. And one of the reasons I love ways is because it tells you that the cops are near, right? And it's like 21 people have, like, said, yes, there's a cop there. And it's like, okay, let me slow down. And, and we live life like that. Am I going to get caught? You see, but wisdom answers what right or wrong can answer. Wisdom says, what's the wise thing to do in this situation for me? In light of what I already know to be true, that is what wisdom does. And so to be wise like Daniel, the first thing that we need to do is we need to learn lessons from the prior generations. In light of my past experiences, in light of what my family has gone through, maybe you have a family member and and they've made a lot of dumb mistakes and you're like, you know what, my brother did that and I'm not going to go down that same road. My father did that, my mother did that. My neighbor, I read this book, and this guy, you see, we're choosing to be wise, and we're choosing to learn 
from prior generations. This, the whole reason that I wanted to talk about this today is because King Belshazzar could have avoided all of this because he lived it. He saw what bad decisions did. He experienced it. He heard stories about a 90-foot gold idol that his grandfather built so that people could worship him and how three young Hebrew boys were thrown into the fire. I mean, these were the heroes. All right, think about this whole week in Miami. It's Super Bowl week. And how many things have we seen on social media and on TV of like celebrity football players, like stars being here in Miami. Super cool. People taking pictures. A friend of mine got free tickets to the Super Bowl yesterday. He was taking pictures with Gronkowski. And that's super cool. Could you imagine like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Like these guys were legends in Babylon. Everyone talked about them. I know that if I would have bumped into them, I'm like, you guys saw Jesus. You guys saw the angel of the Lord. What was that like? You know, maybe they said my hips were loosened. Maybe that, that's what, what they would have said. I think I probably, mine would have been loosened as well. <laughs> Freaked out by what God did. And yet Belshazzar chose not to learn from prior generations. You see, what is it in our lives today that we can avoid if we learn from the mistakes of the past? What are things in our lives that, that we can avoid if we learn from the successes of the past? Because we could look at the way other people have lived life. We could look at even people in scripture live life certain ways and God bless them. And yet sometimes we choose, and I say we because I do it too. We choose to do our own thing. Job 8 says this, ask the former generations and find out what their fathers learned. For we were born only yesterday and we know so little. I have a confession to make. I love old people. You know, like old people that love to talk a lot. The old people that sometimes people don't like talking to. There have been times I've gone to a parque de domino, like Domino Park, and I've played dominoes with this lady, no teeth, right? But she can tell stories about Cuba and Miami that you won't read in any books. Why? Because she lived it. She remembers being like a teenager, a little girl, and coming to this country and not knowing anything and, and talking about how there was nothing in Miami and the Cubans came and solved it all because, you know, she has to be the hero of the story. But it's awesome, right? It's so cool. And I've been wanting to ask her, how'd you lose all your teeth? But I don't think that'd be nice, right? Because I've learned from other generations to be polite, right, and be courteous. But it's super cool to just listen to stories and, and listen to struggle. And I think that that's something a lot of times immigrant generations, we forget about the struggle that our parents went through to get to this country. And at some point or another, unless you're Native American, you're an immigrant, right? At some point or another, your family traveled and came to this country. And, 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 and you, I'm guilty. You could ask my kids, hey, you know, tell us the story of the Cuban people and how they came to Miami. And they'd be like... Uh, I don't know, you know. The other day, my daughter heard me say about Fidel Castro, and she's like, who's Fidel Castro? And I felt like I failed her, right? Because I grew up hating him as a kid, you know. Um, and, and that's what my parents taught me. We need to learn from the generations of the past. And the reason that we don't do it sometimes, it's because of pride. It's because they did it that way, but I'm going to do it my way. It's my life. How many times have we said that when our parents were trying to give us guidance, you're ruining my life. 
It's my life. They're my decisions. Don't tell me what to do. I'm 16 years old. What do you, who do you think you are? You're old. You don't know anything. Let me do it my way. I remember one time my dad was like, don't drive your car. Your tires are bald. And I'm like, I, I wanted to get a CD player for my car. And if I got the CD player, I couldn't change my tires. You know? And he's like, you're going to get in a flat tire. You're going to get in an accident. And guess what happened? I was listening to my favorite CD on the side of the Palmetto with a flat tire. And many of us are living lives listening to great music with flat tires and not knowing how to change it. Or maybe like it happened to me, the tire that was bald was a regular tire, but I had already popped another one. So I had the spare on another tire because 16 year olds know it all. But I had good music, and girls liked loud cars with good music, and so at least that's what I thought. You see, and that's why sometimes we're actually, we're not going to really know what decisions to make all the time. And so we actually need four different kinds of people in our life. We need mentors, we need models, we need partners, and we need friends. These are the type of relationships that we need to look for in our lives so that we can actually be successful in life. And a mentor It's like a coach, all right? It's someone that's saying, you can do it. You have what it takes. Or like, don't go that way. You know, we we need coaches in our life, people that know a little bit more than us, that can motivate us, that can inspire us, stay away from emotional vampires. Yet many times we're attracted to emotional vampires. We're attracted to people that suck life out of us, that lead us down the wrong way. Then we need models, and not like supermodels. Because a lot of guys, they're, they're looking for models and they end up with a broken heart. We need role models in our lives. And let me tell you something about the role models that you want to look for. You want to look for dead models. Are you thinking like, oh my God, this guy's totally crazy talking about diarrhea and dead people and stuff. But this is why, this is why dead models are the best type of models. Why? Because you can actually look at this person, how they live their entire life. And then at the end died a life of integrity and you could look at the mistakes that they made and say, hey, you know what? I'm not going to do that, but everything else was good. But a model that's still alive, the, the jury's still out. The jury's still out on me. The jury's still out on a lot of people that we could actually start following, right? And you could be inspired by them. But pick a model from a book, from history, from Christianity. You know, like a model in my life that died recently and so now he qualifies and this is like Billy Graham. Think about that. He's a man that had access to everything, to presidents, to kings, to rulers, to money, and he died a life of integrity. So many amazing pastors that inspire us, leaders, Christian leaders, at some point or another fall and and make mistakes and it's okay, it's not to point a finger, but, but try to find someone that, you know what, They've lived a good life, and you could say the jury is not out on them anymore. Some people start off good, and then they end up bad. And then it's like, oh, well, he's not, you know, then it lets us down. We, we kind of break our own hearts. Then we need partners. Well, who are partners? Partners is someone who's going to roll the boat with you, someone who's going to be by your side. It could be a coworker in your profession. It could be someone you serve with in ministry. This person's going to support you. He's going to challenge you at times. She's going to challenge you. And then lastly, we need friends, right? We need friends. You know what a friend is? A friend is someone who loves you no matter what. Even when you really mess up, when you don't deserve to be loved, your friend is there. 
What is a friend? A friend is someone who walks into your life when everybody walks out. That's what a real friend is. A friend is not the person who takes you out to go party and get smashed and break people's hearts. That's not your friend. That's not your friend. When I was a youth pastor, I, I, I counseled so many young people. And they would come to my office and I would talk to them. And I'm like, what happened? No, I, I skipped school. We went to the beach. And then we got arrested because we were drinking. And, you know, and I'm like, who are you with? No, my best friends. I'm like, those aren't your best friends. Your best friends aren't going to lead you down the wrong path. Your best friends are the ones that don't run away. I remember counseling this one kid. I'm in the hospital. He has a broken leg. And I'm like, dude, what happened? And it's like, no, man. We were like, we got some fake IDs. We went clubbing. And then we got busted. And, and, and I'm like, who were you with? And I was with a bunch of my friends. I'm like, in what room are your friends? I knew the answer. I want to go see them. I want to go pray for them. And I'm like, no, man, I'm the only one that got caught. I'm like, where the rest of How many were? You know, we were six. Where the other five? No, they ran away. I'm like, have they come to visit you? No, they haven't. Have they called you? No. And I'm like, bro, those aren't your friends. But how many times have we allowed people to influence us, coworkers, on work trips, and we make decisions that we know we're going to regret? You see, your friends are the ones when you need them the most, when you don't deserve it, they're there for you. All right, and in the same verse in Job, Job says, ask the former generations. Sometimes it's, it's a moment where we have to decide to be humble. And we call up our parents or our uncle or, or maybe that friend that we've been ignoring their advice. That person that we know loves us, that told us something that hurt us, but we knew it was true. And we're like, you know what, I, I don't want to talk to my mom right now because she's going to be right. We think that. I'm not going to talk to my uncle or my grandma or my, whoever it is, my teacher, because they were right and I was wrong. And so we choose to stay in these moments in our lives when we're alone, moments in our lives when disaster is just surrounding us because pride has made us has made us prisoners in our own life, in our own world. See, that's what was happening with Belshazzar. He thought that he was better to the point that he threw a party and got drunk and then got God's utensils and mocked God. Like, I'm the greatest. I'm the ruler of the world, which he was at the time, and yet he lost it all. Look at what 1 Corinthians says. 1 Corinthians 10, it says, these things occurred as an example to warn us and to keep us from wanting to do the same evil things they did. For scripture says that we should avoid drunken parties, sexual immorality, and worshiping things that aren't God. We should not test the Lord's patience or grumble and complain as some did and died. These things happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. God is saying these are the examples of what happens when you are not following me. The second thing we need to do to be wise is we need to maintain a humble attitude that honors God. Humility and teachability actually go together. You can't learn anything if you're not humble. And if we're not humble, what did I teach you last week? You know what? You're going to stumble. We're going to fall. If we're not humble and willing to learn from someone else. The Bible says that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. 
And you know what happens many times as we say, and we say this sometimes with pride, I don't know how to be humble. That's not how I was brought up. I was brought up to be bold, to be outspoken, to make my own path, to make my own trail, to hit my head against the wall, to learn the hard way. That's not how I was raised. How do I do it? It's real simple. You want to learn how to be humble? Humility begins by simply realizing that you're not God. Humility begins by realizing I am not God. I want you to repeat this with me. Say, God is God. Come on, let's say it loud. God is God, and I am not. God is God, and I'm not. I can't be God. God has actually been showing this to me more than ever. There's times that I, I want to help people. I want to do things for people. Those of you that are part of Love Unlimited, you know we're real active in the community. We reach a lot of people, and sometimes I try wrongfully to be God in people's lives and this week Monday Tuesday we were at a pastor's retreat me and my wife and there was a time which for me is like horrible because of my personality like I like to be around people I don't like to be alone where they forced me to be alone they forced me to be alone and to listen I love to talk so I had to be alone and listen and it was the craziest thing. I just felt it in my heart. I can't save anyone. Like God just repeating me, Mark, you can't save anyone. Jesus is the one that saves. I know that. Right? You're probably thinking like, how did he become a pastor if he doesn't know that? But it's true. Sometimes we do it with our children. We do it with family members. We try to be Jesus for them. We try to get them to, like, get baptized. Like, we try to get them, like, do this, pray. You know when you force a kid to pray, they're not even praying. They're, like, closing their eyes and saying, I can't wait for my dad to get out of my room. That's what they're thinking, right? Yeah, we need to guide them. And sometimes as a pastor, like, I want to force people because I can see it or I think I can. Like, dude, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't watch those things. Don't go on those websites. It's going to ruin your life. And then when they don't do it, I get upset. And God just gave me the peace that says, you're not God. Maybe there's a situation in your life that you're trying to force. And we justify it. We make lists. This is why this is good. And this is going to help this person and provide for this person and, and bring healing to this person. So, God, you got to do it. We give God checklists. And God wants us to know today. You want to know what humility is? It's understanding that I'm God. And God has a perspective that we'll never have. And we have faith and trust God. You see, let's learn from the mistakes and the lessons of the past. You want to start out having a, a lifelong destiny and legacy of wisdom and protection. Let God be God in your life and in every situation. See, we've been on this 21-day fast. We're on day 14. Tomorrow's day 15. So if you haven't done it, you still have time to do it for a day or two a week. But it's been changing us. I probably would have never have been in a place where I heard God tell me to relax and to trust him. If I wouldn't have been on this journey with all of you and you guys praying for me and me praying for you and us being connected on the same theme for the same purpose leading up to our anniversary, 
next week. And you know why it's important to be humble? James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud. You're never going to be able to beat God. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. I think for some of us here in this room today, a, a step of humility, maybe you're a Christian, is, is baptism. Maybe you haven't been baptized. What better reflection of I totally surrender to God that, that I'm going to go into the water, giving up control and coming out as a new person. I think that's an incredible step that you can take today. I mean, you could sign up on your Connect card. You can text the word baptism to, to our, our number, 786-541-1020. I mean, if you haven't been baptized, grab your phone. It's cool. Take it out. Text it. And that is just a decision of surrender to God at an even higher level. And we talked about surrender a few moments ago when we worshiped. Baptism, great example of humility, of showing everyone. See, sometimes we're afraid to get baptized because what, are, what is my family going to say? I had a lady tell me once, like, my father's going to disown me because I'm leaving our religion. And I'm like, this is not about religion. This is about dying to yourself and saying, I am a follower of Jesus. If you tell your dad, I'm a follower of Jesus and he loves Jesus, he's going to be proud of the decision that you made. And so baptism, great step of humility. The third thing is refuse to fill my mind with garbage. All right. So many of us, so worried about the environment, and it's good, and we got to protect God's earth, okay? Don't pollute the ocean. Don't litter. And yet our lives every day, we're polluting it. We're littering, and the problem is no one can see it all the time. And, and how do I pollute my mind? TV, social media, what are the things that we're allowing to come into our minds, into our souls, and say, God, like, purify my heart, purify my mind. I had to stop watching TV. I used to be addicted to the news, and it was making me like a mad, like, depressed person. But I just wanted to know everything that was going on, right? So then I could go to work the next day and, like, talk trash about all the government and our government and the president and politicians and this and that and, and gossip. And then I couldn't wait to get back. I couldn't wait for lunch because I could watch TV on my phone to find out what else is going on in the world. It could be like comedy that you're watching. I love comedy, but too much of that can make you, make you dumb. We hear so many times and we've said, hey, I don't have time to read my Bible. I don't have time to, to listen to certain things, to grow, to listen to podcasts. I'm just so busy. But if we look at how much time we're spending on Sports Center or on the cooking channel or home and garden or whatever, it's like, man, we, we should dedicate more time to God and not fill our minds with garbage. Proverbs 15 says, a wise person is hungry for truth while fools feed on trash. A wise person is hungry for truth while fools feed on trash. And then the last thing is to put it into practice. Man, we can learn so much. We can hear so much. Some of us are always connected to God. We know the Bible better than most people. Some of you probably know the word of God better than I do. But many times we don't put what we learn into practice. King Belshazzar lost everything because he failed to do what he already knew. He knew what worked and didn't work, yet he failed to do what he knew. See, God doesn't teach you 
What's second about life until you actually act on the stuff that you already know? And I think as Christians, sometimes we're desperate for God to do something else. And yet we still haven't done the first thing that he's taught us. We haven't learned from our mistakes. And you see, God's not in the business of satisfying our curiosity all the time. And tell you what number 15 is going to be and what number 16 is going to be to make your life better. God's not in that business of just making us feel good. God wants us to learn so our lives can be better, so that we can write a better story. I remember I bumped into a friend of mine that I was in 11th grade with not too long ago. I was in the mall. I was buying some stuff. And, and I hear this guy go, hey, Mark, what's up? And from afar, I completely recognized him. He looked exactly the same. He was still wearing flip-flops and baggy jeans ripped in the bottom a little bit and with a surfer shirt and long hair. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this guy hasn't changed a bit. This was 1995, okay. And he, he's walking towards me. And the closer he got, I'm like, he's wearing the same shirts that he used to wear when we were in high school. Literally the same shirts. They're just a little tighter now, and his stomach is showing, and, and his hair is about the same length on his shoulder. And when he was in high school, all the girls loved this guy. All right, they loved him. He was a stud. He was super cool. He was like one of the guys in like a surfer movie or surfer magazine. I mean, super cool, super cool guy. But he got stuck. And you see, sometimes we get stuck in life, and, and we don't want to grow. And it wasn't 1995 anymore. And I'm like, oh, so where do you work? No, I work here in the mall. I've been working here since I got out of high school. I'm a manager now. And I'm like, bro, I felt so bad for him. Right? And he was the guy that all of us wanted to be like when we were in school. And yet, he didn't learn. He didn't grow. He was a pretty smart guy, I remember, in high school as well. You see, we need to learn to apply the truth. We need to learn to act on it. We need to learn to internalize the things that we hear. I want you to write this down. I haven't learned it until I do it. You can use this on your kids, wives. Use it on your husbands. You haven't learned it until you do it. Start doing it. Belshazzar, this king loses everything because he failed this last point. He failed to put into practice the things that he knew. He pridefully refused to learn lessons of prior generations. He chose to ignore these lessons. He was proud. He threw parties and said to God, I'm bigger than you. I'm better than you. I deserve the things that were used to worship you. Now they're mine. You know that you were created to worship God. Designed. Your purpose what does God say? Let us make man in our image, a reflection of God. And so when God looks at our life, it should be an image of worship to him, the way we talk. Not just the cool songs that we sing. And you guys sing pretty good. It's not about the songs. It's not about the music. It's about our actions. It's about how we live. It's about how we treat people. And so when we choose to be proud and refuse to be a reflection of God, what we're actually doing is saying, God, you're not God, I'm God. And because I'm God, I'm going to make whatever decisions I want, whenever I want, however I want. I'm going to raise my family however I want. I'm going to make whatever decision I want. I'm going to watch whatever I want. I'm going to listen to whatever I want. I'm going to say whatever I want. It doesn't matter. 
You see, what good is it for me to like go to like a marriage conference and spend a week there and, and buy every resource that the conference person puts out? And when I get home, I put it on my shelf. And I don't put anything that I learned into practice. You would say, Mark, you're an idiot. You blew your money. You're, you, you don't care about your family. You're selfish. But we do it all the time when it comes to actually making decisions that honor God. Daniel 5, 22, Daniel said to the king, even though you knew all that had happened to your father, Nebuchadnezzar, you didn't learn from his life. And you still refuse to humble yourself before God who rules from heaven. Notice that verse says you knew, but you didn't learn. What is God trying to teach us? Close your eyes right now and say, God, what do I need to learn? What do I need to put into practice? Remember, you were not made for you. And I want you to think about this verse as I read it to you. Some people have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. 1 Timothy 6, 21. We can know about God. We can have knowledge of God. But do we really know him? You see, because if we really knew him, we wouldn't panic and have the anxiety that we have sometimes when certain situations come in our life because we would know that he promised that he would never leave us and never forsake us, that he would always be there. We know. When the world is crumbling all around us, we would know that he is our rock. He is a strong foundation. And if we stand on him, the world could fall apart around us. But I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be protected. He is my fortress. And who I trust. So I'm going to invite you to stand up and in a moment we're going to pray and I want to give you the opportunity to take a step to really know God. And this is a moment where some of us are going to say, God, I'm sorry. It's a moment where we're going to realize, man, maybe I haven't been making decisions I haven't been living out my faith the way that I know that I should. I've been compromising. And maybe the grace of God has kept you from total disaster. But don't take it for granted. Don't take his grace and his mercy towards you for granted. And say, God, today, 100%, I surrender myself to you. And maybe it's just one person. And that's cool. But I believe that there's several people here today that actually need to tell God, God, I'm sorry. I want to rededicate my life to you and say, I am no longer going to compromise. I want to know you. I want to learn from the mistakes of my past and the mistakes of other people and completely follow you 100%. Maybe you're here today and you've never made a decision to give your life to Jesus. As we worship, I want to invite you to come up and we're going to pray. We're going to watch God change your life. We're going to watch God breathe life into your situation, give you hope where there was no hope. How many of you believe that God can do that for the person next to you? How many believe that? 
How many of you believe that there's nothing that's impossible for God? And if he did it for you, he could do it for the person that's next to you. I've seen you move. I've seen you move mountains. And I believe you can do it again. And maybe the calling that God has for you today is maybe God has moved the mountain in your life. And you need to talk to the person next to you and say, hey, you know what? God has moved mountains in my life and I know he can do it for you. Let's go up together and watch him work in your life. Maybe that's the calling that God has on you today. So be bold. Maybe you got to walk across the room and say, hey, let's go up together and let's watch God work in your situation. Maybe you have information that other people don't have about something and say, hey, I believe that God could do it again. Amen. Do you believe it? Hope you guys enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there's just a couple of things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this podcast has ministered to you and you would like to help us continue reaching people that need to be inspired by the word of God, please consider making a donation at GodLovesMiami.com. That's GodLovesMiami.com. And we'll see you next time on the God Loves Miami podcast.